You're listening to an ACA podcast. This conversation was recorded in association with the exhibition Francis Barrett, Miatus, presented at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art in Melbourne from 2 April until 19 June 2022. In conversation is artist Francis Barrett and Daniel Moody Cunningham, who is the Director of Programming at Carriageworks. Miatus is the outcome of Suspended Moment, the Cathy Cavalieri Fellowship which is a unique suite of fellowships for women working at the nexus of performance and installation. The three fellowship recipients were supported to present solo exhibitions at each of the partnering organisations. Giselle Stambra at Carriageworks, Sally Rees at the Museum of Old and New Art, and Francis at ACCA. In this conversation, Francis and Daniel address the influence on both their practices of the late Australian performance artist Cathy Cavalieri, whose life and work is honoured by the Fellowship. They then discuss the experience of entering the exhibition Miatus and the themes driving the project. To hear more programs like this, please subscribe to ACCA Melbourne Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and sign up to ACCA's newsletter at acca.melbourne for all new releases and forthcoming programs. Before we start the conversation, I just would like to acknowledge that I am on the lands of the Ghana people, um, the traditional custodians uh, of the Adelaide Plains, and I'd like to pay my respects to elders past, present uh, and future, and to also pay my respects, uh, to extend those respects to all First Nations people who are listening today. Hi, Francis. Great to be here speaking with you, and I'd also like to start by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land of which I'm um, speaking today, which is Gadigal land, as part of the Eora Nation, and acknowledge um, elders past, present and future, and extending that respect to all First Nations listeners to, to this podcast. Francis, how are you going? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm just sitting here in my office at UniSA and <laughs> very excited to be speaking to you, actually. Yeah, likewise. I'm, I'm at Carriageworks and Fashion Week is actually bubbling away in the background. It's, um, it's quite <laughs> surreal. <laughs> so it's really great to be able to return to, um, to, the, to the impact of your work or well, the impact that it had on me several weeks ago now when, it, when I came down to Melbourne for the opening. Um, when did it open? It was like about six on, weeks ago now, wasn't it? Yeah, on the 2nd of April. Yeah. And congratulations, Fran. I know that um, it was a long time coming. This project was originally meant to open at ACCA in um, March 2020. <laughs> and here we are in opening it on the 2nd of April in 2022. Well, yeah, I mean, it was sort of due to COVID you know, it was sort of suspended for about two years. So I feel really lucky that ACCA was able to, you know, continue its support and host the project. Yeah. Could. And, and really I feel happy and, I don't know, alleviated too that it could happen when it did and um, kind of, I guess, achieve the, the show in its fullest potential. And suspended, you, you mentioned that word, it's, it's mm. suitable because the um, – project was part of Suspended Moment, the Cathy Cavalieri Fellowship, which um, it was an opportunity um, for female identifying artists, um, performance and installation artists that was um, announced in 2019 through Expression of Interests. Um, and, and you were one of three successful artists for that fellowship program. And um, all of those three uh, fellowship exhibitions were 
meant to uh, unfold simultaneously in 2020 mm. um, and then were suspended, like you said, through through the um, COVID-related impacts and lockdown um, impacts. So it's great, great to be here, like at the tail end of that whole journey, really, because it started with... Um, Giselle Stambra's work at Carriageworks, which I which I was the commissioning curator for, and Sally Reese's project at MoNA, Museum of New Art in Hobart, which Nicole Derling curated, and then your project, which was curated by um, Annika Christensen. Yeah. And um, maybe on that note, Daniel, just wondering if you could talk to, yeah, introduce us to Cathy Cavalier and... Um, and what the significance of her practice was? Cathy Gavalier was a was an artist, a performance and installation artist who came out of the College of Fine Arts at the University of New South Wales in the mid nineties, and um, she was born in nineteen seventy two in Italy, migrated to Australia at the age of four, and um, settled in Sydney with her family. She was an only child. She um, you know, I, I guess after leaving high school, went to art school and, you know, at that time in the mid-90s was, you know, really interested in in exploring the, uh, you know, the intersection of, you know, her early studies in photo media with, with a kind of then a nascent, um, I guess, performance practices that were happening um, and, and installation practices, which I think at that time um, was very different to the way we understand it now. And... Um, she was very much associated with art space in Sydney for having been a, um, a number of times the uh, finalist in the Helen Montpellier Prize and then eventually the winner in 2000 and, and also holding in 1999 a really significant solo show called Story of a Girl, um, which was, um, I think, really did, you know, um, encapsulate everything that her work was about in terms of its... Um, stress on performance and and embodiment and um, but also that kind of intersection of art and life you know she would bring in the kind of material facets of her existence you know just her personal belongings and her personal experience and transform that into the stuff of art Um, there was a kind of a sense of grappling with personal trauma with um, the idea of her own origin story how she came to be as a migrant living in Australia and feeling like a a sense of displacement and a lost connection to kind of her mother country, but also just grappling with the relationship she had with her parents. Her father um, uh, was mentally unwell when she was growing up and there was a lot of unrest within the home that she was um, coming to kind of understand um, her connection to that. And then later in life, her uh, right at the end of her life, really, her mother was dying of cancer and, a lot of her work turned to that maternal relationship. Um, and so a lot of the work that that we kind of really associate with her these days, like these images of her sitting on a nest of clothes, um, uh, were really about her grappling with, the, with mortality and her relationship to her mother who passed away in 2008. And then sadly, Cathy passed away in 2012, in January 2012, um, from the same cancer that claimed her mother's life. So it's kind of really a sad um, story, given that she was only 39 years of age at the time she died, um, had, I guess, achieved 
um, some success as an artist in Australia, but certainly like a lot of artists, um, I think uh, that story had yet to be told and in some ways <laughs> was told through the work I had done posthumously when I started to work with her estate after her passing in 2012. Yeah, could you talk to that, um, the process of working with her archive, with her legacy and, and I guess setting up the Suspended Moment Fellowship? Sure. Um, soon after Kathy passed away, her um, two of her friends who had been appointed as her estate executors um, approached me um, and let me know that, you know, Kathy had put my name down as someone to approach for a posthumous retrospective and, and book. I mean, Kathy, I guess, being diagnosed with cancer and knowing it was terminal, was able to do some of her own legacy planning. And, um, and, and so, you know, there had been a plan set in place to, you know, to kind of undertake that, that um, exhibition and book and and later on with any other, you know, if there were other assets to be sold, there would be an opportunity to create other, some other type of um, fellowship or opportunity in her name. So it started with um, re- really with me just kind of working um, on getting her retrospective and book um, happening and eventually um, after several years of working on very intense research on Kathy's life and work, um, I mean, I knew Kathy, um, but certainly felt like I got to know her a lot better from having worked um, with her materials after her death. Um, I was, um, you know, and it was just interesting to see where it kind of landed that um, having worked with Nicole Derling at Mona on another project of mine. Um, kind of this uh, naturally led to um, Nicole and I having conversations about Kathy, uh, which led to me then um, presenting her retrospective at Mona in 2015. Um, and, and, and then it travelled from there to Carriageworks in 2016. And it was at Carriageworks um, prior to me having actually joined the team here as the, um, in the current role that I have. So the, um, so the exhibitions happened and then after that um, part of the project, um, the, the estate again tasked me with, with the, you know, um, developing some kind of opportunity in her name after the sale of her family property. And, um, and I, this idea was kind of very much inspired by Cathy having won the Helen Lomprier in 2000, knowing that that had really given her such a big boost in her career and enabled like such an incredible, uh, you know, suspended moment. I mean, it's funny, the work that she won the Helen Lomprier for, for in 2004 is called Suspended Moment. So, you know, that was... Um, significant and it really did kind of propel her at that particular moment in her life and career and so I really wanted this opportunity to do the same thing for for three artists and knowing that I had 300,000 to play with well actually it was 345 because we had a bit of extra money to, to, to produce some publications for the artists I just thought look this needs to be big and it needs to be a $100,000 opportunity for an artist. So it really makes a difference and makes a statement and could, depending on obviously who was awarded the fellowships, could could be that next step, that boost into another stratosphere of practice. 
Um, and I certainly feel like that that's um, what's happened with the three artists that were awarded the fellowship. When I started working at Carriage Works in uh, 20, late 2017, um, and was able to bring the project to Carriage Works as a kind of lead, the leading partner. Um, was able to. We kind of felt that it really needed to extend its extend its reach, and so bringing on, um, you know, already an established relationship with Mona, but then bringing Acker in as well, was able to then really kind of give it. Um, I, I guess give it another kind of national flavor as well, um, and also um make it feel like it was uh, i mean the original plan was that the three exhibitions would all after a year of development you know coincide and and all happen simultaneously from march 2020 and of course that was the perfect storm as the pandemic <laughs> just happened at that particular moment um so but it, you know it was a um it's still been really incredible to watch the projects um, unfold over the period of the two years since that original kind of moment when, when they were set to, set to do so. Yeah, you kind of um, are talking about it as a sort of a launching point or a shuttling, you know, outwards, mm. I guess. But I also see that those projects gave us all a chance to dig deep, to go, you know, deep down and um, to have the opportunity to spend a year working on a project was just, yeah, it was it was life changing and and life. Yeah, affirming. no, absolutely, and I think even the language you used in the original expression of interest um, document was, um, you know, pitch your dream project. You know, and I, I remember that that really resonated with people because it was just very simple kind of um, language that you know I think can spark the imagination. You know, what is your dream project? And you know, um, I know that. Um, it, you know, is a dream project to be able to have this opportunity. Yeah, and so, I, I mean, you know, we both work as artists and as curators, um, and so that's also something that I really wanted to to sort of talk to you about mm. and maybe to, you know, what's, I guess, what, what are the considerations and responsibilities of when you are working with an artist, you know, such as Kathy and and her legacy, but also kind of, performance as an ephemeral form and you know what are your sort of curatorial reflections on, on that well it's interesting with Kathy's work um I had worked with Kathy in her lifetime um particularly when I was the curator at Hazelhurst um uh, when was that 2007 to 10 she was considered a local artist to that kind of region um and um so we worked together a little bit at that time I was also a co-director at Mop Projects, and she'd done some projects there. Um, so, you know, I knew her work over the years, but then, then you know, having the responsibility, being tasked with the respons- responsibility to work with her estate, it becomes a much, um, <laughs> it's such a much heavier kind of, there's a weight to it. And, and also that responsibility comes with a certain type of, um, oh, I don't know, um, just, a, yeah, I don't know what, what I'm trying to say, except that it's just um, you really think through how you're going to present that material to the world and, yeah. and the care that you um, put into into that process becomes really paramount. It's, and, um, and also just the type of, um, I remember having a really early conversation with Nicole Derling when she was at Mona and just saying, 
um, you know, I guess there's a couple of ways you could go about presenting this type of material, which is really quite ephemeral and, and performative. And if you hadn't kind of been there at the time or witnessed it through documentation, you kind of might not necessarily uh, you have understood it or you might have missed the moment. But, um, you know, I could have, could have actually just made it a very very kind of dry archival project and used a lot of vitrines and, and <laughs> display cases to kind of, you know, represent the effects of, of those of performances and, and also because her, her practice was very much driven by an obsessive diary writing mm. practice that you could have also just um, found some ways to present that material. You know, you see that a lot in museum display and, and gallery kind of, you know, curatorial convention is to, you know, present that material. Um, but I was I really interested in the way that she, she was a bit of a hoarder and that was very much part of the practice and 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 all of the materials that she used in the performances um, were, were available. They were all there and they had this kind of spectral trace of the artist. It's almost like they were, the DNA of the artist was still very much embedded in, in the materiality of these these objects, whether they be costumes or props or or just um, brown paper bags from one of her pieces or or the clothes that formed a her, you know a nest um, you know from her. Um, from the you know what remained of her mother's estate, mm. and so just having access to all of that material, all of a sudden, kind of realised you could tell the story of the artist through you know, and somehow kind of invoke their presence through their absence, and that was actually really, really beautiful, um, but also kind of unexpected because you, I, I just kind of was felt like I was taking a little bit of a risk in that I had a sense that it was going to work, but never really quite sure it was going to work or actually be quite as moving as Mm -hmm. it turned out to be. And I think in some ways because what I found that I had to do was kind of complete her sentences a little bit as well because she was making work that she hadn't quite finished. And so you had to kind of come in at some point and make some decisions around around how um, how to display some works that hadn't been displayed before. And so in some ways it felt like I was having a kind of conversation with a ghost a lot of the time, um, particularly in the, and then, and then really just um, making decisions that just felt like that they were in keeping with the spirit of what, what she was trying to achieve in the first place. And possibly if, if she, I mean, I do feel, and I'm not really a spooky kind of guy, but I do feel like maybe she, she kind of was there and, and could sense it, but um and probably approved, but, you know, you never really know. So in some ways you do have to take, um, I mean, one person said to me it was a bit like a form of co-authorship comes into play. And, um, and I do feel like that, um, that, that, yeah, that definitely is a good way of looking at it. Yeah, and I think, you know, you can feel that. I mean, she selected you or she chose or nominated you to take mm. care of her uh, work and the ongoing kind of care for her, her work. So I think definitely there is a sort of co-authorship or a conversation. That yeah, happens. and it's it's really um, it's interesting when you work with an artist's estate, and I have, I have done this once before with another artist, but um, the... the that this time, having known Kathy or being one of her peers, I was only a couple of years younger than her. You know, just seeing your name referenced in 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 a diary, mm. um, all of a sudden, it's just really profound and 
somewhat kind of earth stopping when you are going through all these, you know, boxes of, you know, art diaries and personal effects that you wouldn't otherwise have access to. And when you just or see your name or see, you know, or recognize the particular historical moment because, you know, she's describing an exhibition opening that you were also at, you know, actually it just triggers your own memory of, of a life, of a particular time and place. And that's also, uh, it's quite beautiful because, you know, it's, we were the same of the same generation growing up in Sydney, the same kind of moving in the same circles. So in some ways, I think the story I was telling around Kathy was a story that I felt like, um, I kind of knew or I was a witness to or at least partially a witness to. Yeah, and belonged to. Yeah. Mm. And I- so, Fran, I mean, you you're, uh, you mentioned before and you outed me as an artist. I feel like I've <laughs> kind of like <laughs> I haven't worked as an artist in a while. But, um, but I find it really interesting the way that, I mean, the sole commissioning focus of the, of the fellowship was – you know, um, you know, attracted applications from artists. It was very much dedicated to um, outcomes that were about the artist project. But you, you, you know, you were interesting in the mix there because you brought in a sensibility as an artist and a, as a curator. Mm-hmm. And um, and I guess the kind of generosity of Kathy Cavalieri's estate in and Kathy herself in gifting this to to. To artists, you were you were kind of then passing the gift on a little bit by working with others, um, and I think that's a, a really beautiful part of your project and the way that you used that opportunity with with the with, with the fellowship. Um, could you talk a little bit to to the decisions you made around around your how you reconciled your role as an artist and as a curator, particularly in relation to this project? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I did put forward a project where my, my initial proposal was just an installation of a vocal composition and it was just going to be carpet and speakers and lights. Uh, and how I was going to achieve that, I had no idea. But, um, you know, after I received um, the fellowship and understood that I would be presenting the work at ACCA and not just one room of ACCA, but uh, the entire sort of four spaces of of the gallery. Um, it made me rethink about, yeah, the scale and the scope of the project. So I, I reflected uh, about where I, you know, where I was at at that time and a lot of my work was or has been done in collaboration with others. So whether that was live performances where I performed with you know, people such as Ivan Crozier or Toby Chapman or Nick Sun, um, or whether I collaborated curatorially with like Jess Olivieri or Liquid Architecture. Um, I was sort of thinking about that mode of collaboration um, that was running throughout the, you know, the last 10, 12 years of my practice. Um, and then I, yeah, I guess as well at that time, um, you know the the Turner the 2019 Turner Prize winners um, made a statement of solidarity all between them, and so there were four no- nominated artists who said, "Actually, no, we're not approaching this individually. We're going to approach this as a collective." So it meant that when the jury announced the prize, that they all collectively won the prize. Mm. So I just was sort of thinking about this, um, thinking about the processes of collaboration, and and thought, well, it might be interesting to kind of 
extend um, this opportunity and to occupy the spaces, all the spaces of ACCA with, you know, artists who I've collaborated with or worked in parallel with. Mm. So uh, then approached um, Brian and Hay- Brian Fawata and Haley Ford um, to collaborate um, on creating that work, the vocal composition um, that is in Gallery One, and that's called Worm Divination. And then I approached Del Lamanta, Sione Temahenga, and Nina Buchanan, and Debris Facility Proprietary Limited to develop works um, in relation to this idea of meatus and. Um, uh, sort of allocating different spaces um, mm. for each of the artists. So I think, you know, the reason why I approached the sort of fellowship or the commissioning process was speaking to a larger history of my practice, but also sort of trying to think about um, collaboration, curating, um, and the blurs between, I guess, the artist and the curator. Mm. And your re- work of re- recent times has been very much about listening as well and I feel like there's a I guess a deep listening that um, is going on with just the way that you bring others into the room and you know I guess that process of collaboration requires that listening. Yeah and I I sort of think about and um, I've been working with Barbara Cleveland a collective since about 2007 and we've always Mm. sort of talked about um, collaboration as conversation um so this idea of i guess making work in conversation with others listening to others giving space for others um you know has has been a part of the process um for a while or my approach to artistic practice for a while so Um, the listening is the it's about the ear right so let's talk a little bit about meatus and the experience of the work because i I mean it's about listening to a sound ultimately a series of sound works um often you don't see sound in the gallery you know the gallery is for visual medium yeah Yeah. Um, you know and so um a recent review in sunday paper talks about the way you exhibit sound and the benchmark you set as an artist for that which i think is a really great way of thinking about it and um um can you talk a little bit about to to the actual work itself as that starting point of the ear and i guess the holes of the body that you're exploring through the different rooms of aka yeah so um meatus i guess is a way for me to think about embodied listening practices um, that encompass, you know, a nexus of senses. So dehierarchizing just listening as an operation or a practice of the ear, but thinking about how sounds might impact and affect our bodies. Um, And also, I guess, tied with that is listening as kind of a relational practice. And so things, you know, it's a way in which we come into closer contact with each other. Um, so I guess I wanted to, you know, a, a meatus is a, an opening or a passage of the body that leads into the interior of the body. So uh, our nasal passages, our ear canal and our urethra are all meatus. And so I started to think of, or I approached Akka as a meatus into which the audience could enter. And um you know, I created, I guess, the exhibition design is a um, is just red carpet, black speakers and red lighting throughout all of the four spaces of, of ACCA. So it's quite uniform. And so with that, I was hoping to sort of de-hierarchize this idea of 
vision or, or ocular centrism that's normally prefaced within a visual arts context or a mm. gallery um, and really sort of try and prioritise, I guess, um, listening but also sort of embodied movement through this quite minimally designed space. Um, and concurrently I was also thinking about how, you know, meatus is a passaging and it's an opening and flow. Um, so I was trying to think about how sound bleed and sound leak could operate in that way as well and not to try and silo each of these compositions um, and to try and make you know distinct um, experiences of sound but to try and uh, let the sound bleed and leak speak to each other and create a sort of an attuned listener or to create interesting and unexpected connections between the works to th- and to for that I guess to think about processes of collaboration or to think about how bodies cannot be siloed or our experiences of bo- bodies are that they open out and bleed and leak and um, yeah and yeah so that for me I think was sort of the leading uh, ideas that kind of led me to think about the acker as a space and to think about how to present or how to tackle sound um, as a material. And though you're dehierarchizing the, you know, these senses, yeah. vision and sound, and I, I feel like the um, it's such a visual experience. I mean, it's maybe a synesthetic experience where, you, I mean, sound and vision almost kind of blur and... It's funny, every time I see an image of Neatis come up on Instagram, I'm just immediately struck by how sexy it is and how visually appealing. I don't know if it's something about the red light and the black speakers. Mm. Um, and, you know, you're not hearing generally any sound unless it's, I guess, a video or a story or something. But generally, if it's still image, it still has this kind of really seductive um, yep. visual quality as an installation. Though they, though it's one that's so visceral and so much about the impact and the immersive nature of of this sound um, soundscape that you've created yeah I think well thank you I I mean I did try and make it sort of a I wanted the space I guess to heighten Mm. the senses of the body and to heighten a sort of fully embodied experience so that's why I sort of also thought this pervasive light um, and the lighting design was done by beige studios Mm. Um, so that's why I sort of thought light as an encompassing um experience I guess um, that elevates bodies in particular ways but um, equally sound as well as this kind of pervasive encompassing thing so um, yeah I I guess light and sound in this way are very connected. Um, It's kind of like being inside the body for the viewer as well the the red light maybe just literally evoking blood or guts (laughs) and then the yeah the sound um, also yeah and and you're right like I also yeah it was equally sort of entering into a passage of the body Mm. and and whatever uh, understanding like whether that was like sort of a womb-like space or a um you know anal space or a buccal space or whatever it might be um it is yeah it sort of is this kind of swallowing somehow um and then other times I also sort of think it I wanted it to be evocative of a club or some kind of space for cruising or some kind of space where, you know, you could move, move through the space together and and watch other people's bodies potentially or feel other people's bodies potentially. Yeah, I think it's remarkable how you've managed to achieve so many things um, 
at the same time, I, I wrote on Instagram the weekend that I was at Hacker for the opening. I wrote, being inside me, this is all things alive at once, excess, excavation, eroticism, and ecstasy. And I really I feel that. like that it was like somehow, and I did feel wimp. It feel womb like as well. Not that I can necessarily um, know what it'd be like to return to the womb. Um, I don't remember what it was like when I was there in the first place. But um, I do remember at the time connecting it back to Kathy and also that maternal space that she was very much inhabiting right at the end there, where she was dealing mm. with the death of her mother. And I was very much thinking about your work like it was a womb, um, some kind of nest. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. And that. Um... Uh, there's another piece that I developed uh, in response to Kathy's diaries specifically called mm. A Song for Kathy. And that work specifically talks to what you're talking about, this kind of um, maternal yearning or this space um, for being held as well. And, uh, yeah, so this other video work that I made with the um, vocalist Joanna Fabro. Um, yeah, speaks more directly to that, mm. um, I guess, that, yeah, impact or the emotional space of Kathy's later work. Yeah, it's a great piece. That that was um, commissioned for Suspended Moment, which is a touring show at the moment as well. So an outcome of this suite of um, uh, fellowship exhibitions has been um, at this touring exhibition that I've, I've curated with Museums and Galleries New South Wales. Um, it's it opened at Wollongong, uh, a couple of months ago and now it's currently at Manly Gallery and it'll travel to another six galleries around Australia before it finishes in January 2024. Yeah, and so Yeah, Goulburn. So um, it, it's, it was really beautiful to be able to bring your work, Giselle Stambra and Sally Reese's work, together with Cathy Cavalieri's work. And I think your work in some way, the work you made for that, A Song for Cathy, was a very beautiful connecting tissue that um, really, I think, I, I mean, I guess just for me, having spent so much time immersed in Kathy's world through her diaries, it was really wonderful to see how you you kind of used your your research and your practice and your you know expertise and, and responded to her her materials, mm. her belongings. Mm. And the diaries were such a big part. And you know, I think you know the diaries were such a big sort of. Um, portal almost into her, her as a person but also her work and I think mm. maybe that's also what's impacted Miatus was this um, like I've never really thought about emotional arcs or narratives in my practice before in, in my work but I think worm divination is invested the work that I did with Brian and Haley for, for um, Miatus um, it's really invested with a lot of emotion and mm. you know um a lot of sort of um I don't know I, I think this is the first and for me that speaks to Kathy's kind of um openness and the collapse of public and private and internal mm. external worlds I feel like that really has had an impact on the development of meatus and and worm divination it's interesting, the idea of emotion, um, uh, because I think that this whole project has really challenged me as a curator because I always, I guess, was very much trained that you keep your emotional responses very much um, quarantined <laughs> and, yeah. and out of the picture. So, you know, you come to everything in a slightly clinical and objective fashion as a curator and, and 
working with Kathy's material and also declaring a friendship, uh, you know, and a love that I had for the artist was important because it also kind of just helped, I think, accept that there is there is an emotional temperature that comes with care, you know, yes. and that and that love I think is really important. And um, and sometimes you just need to put that out into the world. Yeah. And I think that your work does that, Francis. Oh, thanks, Daniel. I think, you know, particularly I think with Brian and Haley working in such a sort of intensive way, um, yeah, I mean, we sort of – I always joke that this project doesn't really address care or anything like that. I, I, mm. I have done works which sort of look to that, but I don't think this work particularly looks to those ideas. But I think, you know, with each of the artists that – particularly with Brian and Haley, you know, have these long ongoing relationships with. So I think, you know, whether the artists I work with have, you know, ideas that are aligned with mine or create tensions with mine or whatever, there's, there is a kind of ongoing relationship um, that's built through working with each other on repeated projects, you know. Mm. Um, and hopefully Meatus is just one of those projects and we'll continue to work together in different capacities in the future. Mm. 